0: There we go. All right. I just had an extra minute to fill, so that was it. Because we don't have a video today. We meet around the table and we we, we try to come up with with videos. And and because of the topic today, there was not a great video for it. I thought of maybe doing something from, uh, oh, what was that movie? Where Michael Douglas starred and he was having an affair with the other lawyer. Remember that one? Fatal attraction. I thought maybe that would work, but uh, killing the bunny was not a good thing to have on a video. That went beyond PG 13. So today the topic is about jealous. Is God jealous? He says he's jealous. You know, God says a lot of things about himself that in English kind of convey a negative thing. We think of jealousy, we think of fits of tirade, we think of anger. You know, Jesus was able to show anger. And yet, he didn't sin. He never sinned. Uh, Ephesians 4, Paul says, for us to be angry but do not sin. I'm not sure how you do that. I'm not sure how you do jealous. But somehow in God's perfection, there's a a thing called godly uh, jealousy. And that's what I'm supposed to talk about today because these guys get together and assign me these topics. God is jealous. You know, it comes right from the Scripture. You shall have no other gods before me is right at the beginning of the Ten Commandments. Uh, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is on the earth beneath or that is in the water below the earth. So the first commandment is don't make any graven images. But the next commandment uh, is you shall not bow down to them or serve them for I, the Lord, your God, am a what? Jealous God. God says he is jealous. So I'm trying to figure out a way to introduce this subject of what does it mean that God is a jealous God. And there's a story I've used here before, and so if I've used it, sorry, you've got to listen to it again, about a guy who struggled with jealousy. He was a little bit of an older gentleman, and he was married to a much younger wife. They lived in a second-floor condo, and one night, or one day, he he decided that she must be cheating on him. And so he headed out to work, as was his custom, but he decided that he would bust back in about 20 minutes after he left, and he would find her wife, his wife's boyfriend. So he ran into the bedroom, and he didn't find him, he ran into the living room and he didn't find him. He searched in the closet. He wasn't there. He ran into the kitchen. He looked everywhere. He couldn't find the, the wife's boyfriend because there, there probably wasn't one. And so uh, as he was in the kitchen, he, he, opened the, he looked out the open window and there on the first floor was a man running out the door of the condo unit, buttoning up his shirt. And so in a fit of jealousy, this older gentleman picked up a refrigerator. He threw it out the window at the man dressing, and he had a heart attack, and he died. And so he gets to the gate of heaven, and Peter was there, which is how we know it's a joke, because Peter is not at the gate of heaven. (laughs) Okay? And Peter says, you know, we're glad you're here, but we're surprised you got here this early. How did you get here so early? And the man said, well, it was jealousy. You know, I was afraid my wife was cheating on me, and so I... uh, look for her boyfriend. I didn't find him. I thought I saw him running out of the apartment building, and I picked up a refrigerator. I had a heart attack, and I died, and I'm here. Peter said, well, it's going to take a while to process you. Wait over here. There's a second guy in line. He said, man, we're, we're having a run on this, and we, we weren't expecting you either. How did you get here so early? And the man said, well, I'm not sure. I was late for work, and I was running out of my apartment building, buttoning up my shirt to get to work, and, and a refrigerator fell on me. Peter said, well, we're going to be a minute to process you. You wait over here. Meanwhile, there's a third guy. And Peter said, how did you get here so soon? He said, I don't know. There I was, minding my own business, hiding out in this refrigerator. (laughs) And see, for us, jealousy is almost always uh, a negative connotation. And yet God says that he's jealous. And it says he's responding to the transgression of the fathers by dealing with children to the third and fourth generations of those who reject me. So God takes jealousy very seriously, and those who make God jealous uh, are going to be in trouble. And the word jealous is in the in the Old Testament, it's the word Kana, K-A-N-N-A-H. Say Kana. And it means zeal for another's property. Okay? Actually, it's a little different in English, because in English. Uh, that more is more envy. Envy is kind of, uh, I wish I had what they had, and uh, jealousy is, I wish I don't lose what I've got. And so that's the, that's the, the way I'm going to go with it. The New Testament word is zelao, which is the word we get zealous from, and it means to be jealous, to become jealous, to earnestly desire, to eagerly seek. Sometimes the word is, is a neutral word, sometimes it's even a good word. In the book of James, uh, God says uh, that, the, that he earnestly desires the spirit to live in us. So apparently there's two sides to the coin of jealousy, and when we come to the idea that God is is jealous, where are we going to find how to unpack that idea? Well, the good news is that God is jealous for us. And in the New Testament, we're called the bride of Christ, and Jesus is jealous for us the way a a new groom would be jealous uh, for his spouse. He wouldn't want her and his fiance, to go out and run around with other with other men. And so when you come to the Old Testament, there's a whole book that deals with this subject. It's the book of Hosea. Say Hosea. Hosea is Hosea. Uh, it's also the Hebrew word Joshua, which is where we get Joshua from, and it's the word for Jesus. And so it's the word for salvation. Hosea means God is my salvation. And so there's a whole book that deals with Hosea. I know some of you are doing it in one of your small groups. Somebody told me, uh, after the first the first hour Hosea is a prophet now that's a good thing i think isn't it wouldn't you like to be a prophet how many would like to be a prophet how many got up and forgot to turn your clocks back how many have ever gone to church an hour early i did that i lived in oregon yeah i did it in or in oregon it, there's nothing to do anyway but sit in the rain and we lived in this town called Boring, Oregon. It was right outside of Clackamas, which was just outside of Portland, Oregon. And we went to the Boring Church. And so I hope this is not a boring service. And, uh, and we got there an hour early, and my wife and I had church alone together, and then we skipped out before anybody else realized how stupid we were. We had a bunch of people do that in that middle hour. We had a bunch of people here uh, late. But in the book of... Hosea, we read this in chapter 1 and verse 2. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the word of the Lord came upon Hosea. Up until this time, he was not a prophet, he was living in the north. The land of Israel at the time of Hosea was divided into two parts the north and the south. Say north and south. North and say it again. North and south. The north and the south separated one from another in the year 931 B.C. Say 931. And from 931 until 722, there were actually two nations of Israel, the north and the The north took ten tribes in the rebellion, and so they kept the name Israel. The south only had two tribes, and so they kept the name of the larger tribe, which was Judah. And from 931 until 722, there were two nations of Israel. One was called Israel and one was called Judah. Judah. The north was called Israel, the south was called, and when did they split? 931, and in 722, the nation of Israel, the ten tribes in the north, get kicked out of the land. They are scattered for the rest of their history. They never regroup as a nation, and never live in the land and serve the Lord. And it's just before 722 that Hosea writes, and he writes because the Lord spoke through him. Imagine that. You're Hosea. You're minding your own business. You're living in a very ungodly country. They're practicing every kind of false worship. And the Lord says, Hosea, get up and pronounce my goodness to Israel. Right? I'm going to be a prophet. Hooray. No, look at what God says to Hosea. Go marry a prostitute. Huh? Huh? Are you sure? You know, like in the words of Don Dodge, could I see some identification Are you really God? I had a dear friend who's passed away now, but he did a a sermon one time on the call of God, and he specifically dealt with the prophets. God calls the prophets to do some pretty amazing things. You know, he called Jeremiah to live in a pit and go bury his girdle. He called Isaiah to walk around naked. Or in the south, it's naked. You know the difference. Naked is when you don't have your clothes on. Naked is when you don't have your clothes on and you're up to no good. He calls Hosea to marry a prostitute. What is up with that? The conclusion of my friend's sermon about the call of God was God, don't call us, we'll call you. Sometimes God calls people to do some pretty amazing things. Go marry a prostitute who will bear illegitimate children conceived through prostitution. So apparently, these children are not even going to be Hosea's children. Here's why. Because the nation continually commits spiritual prostitution by turning away from the Lord. Wow. So Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want you to become an object lesson. Your life is going to illustrate what the nation of Israel, those ten northern tribes, is like. They're committing spiritual prostitution by worshiping every kind of false god. We've talked about these gods from time to time. They're mostly called the Baals. Say Baals. The real pronunciation is Baals. And they, were in, they involved sexual immorality. They involved uh, prostitution. They sometimes involved child sacrifice. They involved a lot of things having to do with festivals under the heavens. Baal was the God of heaven. And the people of Israel in the north were corrupted by the nations around them. And they were fol- following these Baals. If you ever get a chance to go to Israel, and the church does a trip all the time, your trip is November. Go. And you'll go to a city called the city of Dan. And in the city of Dan, there's a high place that's been excavated. The same Jewish archaeologist has been excavating in this city for 44 years. He's over 100 years old. And they've got this high altar. It's about twice as high as the stage and about half as wide. But on there, they used to do things like temple prostitution and burn incense and offer children and all sorts of immoral. But they also tried to worship the Lord. They wanted to have it both ways. God says, Hosea, I want you to go marry a prostitute. You're going to have children out of her prostitution and you're going to illustrate this to the nation of Israel. Hosea, you're going to be like God and Gomer, your wife, is going to be like Israel. Think about that. So Hosea married Gomer. Say Gomer. Gomer. How would you like to marry a woman named Gomer? (laughs) Think God doesn't have a sense of humor? You know, imagine waking up next to a woman named Gomer and you roll her, I love you Gomer. Ah! funny because I had an uncle, Gomer. It was a guy. And uh, some of you remember Andy Griffith and Gomer Pyle. For some reason in America, it became a guy's name. But the word Gomer, uh, as all Hebrew names, is very significant. It means perfection. The daughter of Diblium. Diblium was her, was her parents' name, but it also means uh, two, a double raisin cake. And a raisin cake was involved in Baal worship. And so here's a, here's a prostitute whose name means have a perfect erotic experience. Erotic perfection is her name. And so Hosea does it. You know, to be honest, that's more faith than I've got. Personally, I have too much jealousy of the negative kind to begin to even think about marrying a prostitute. And God says, Hosea, do it, and Hosea does it. And they actually end up with three children that Hosea apparently adopts. And the name of their children are significant because the name of the children represent individual people within the nation of Israel the first is Jezreel say Jezreel and there's a play on words there Jezreel uh, in Hebrew is Jezreel and it sounds a whole lot like Israel there's only one letter difference it's a Z versus a Sus and the word Jezreel means to scatter it also means to sow and through Hosea God is showing the nation of Israel these 10 tribes and in 722 what's going to happen? They're going to be scattered because they have not walked with the one true God. The second child is a daughter. In fact, two and three are women. Lo in Hebrew always means no. And no remach is no mercy. And God is not going to show mercy on the people of Israel because they're playing uh, with fire. They're worshiping other gods. They're committing spiritual adultery. And God is a jealous God. He wants to be the one that is worshiped. And lo a means not my people. They're behaving as though they are not God's people. Now, the great thing is this. I believe Israel has a wonderful future. In Romans 11 and verse 1, the Apostle Paul talks about the future hope for Israel. But at this time, this group of people in Israel were going to be judged because they have not experienced God's mercy. They are not behaving like the people of God. And again, they are examples of what the behavior of their mother was. Their mother is Gomer. Say Gomer. Let me show you what Gomer was involved in. Spiritual prostitution. If you read Hosea 2, there's a whole chapter on what Gomer was up to. And again, Gomer is representing the nation Israel. She'd been a prostitute. Israel is doing this. For their mother has committed adultery. She who has conceived them has acted shamefully. For she said, I will seek out my lovers. They are the ones who give me my bread and my water, and my wool, and my flax, my olive oil, and my wine. See, Israel was experiencing great prosperity. But Israel was mistakenly given credit to these false Baal gods and saying, this is why we're prosperous. Sometimes it worries me that as a nation we have too much prosperity. And sometimes we begin to think that our prosperity is a result of our intelligence or our work ethic or our blessing from God in, That's really what it's from. You know, God has blessed our nation incredibly, and he needs to be the one that gets the credit. The first step of all of the financial courses, be it Dave Ramsey or Crown Ministries, is to realize this one thing. God owns everything. If you can understand that God owns everything, you'll know the source of every blessing. James, again, says every good and perfect gift comes from God. The problem is, until now, verse 8 says, she has refused to acknowledge that I, God, was the one who gave her the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and that it was I who lavished on her the silver and the gold, which they are used in worshipping Baal. They're taking this blessing of God in the ten northern tribes, and they're not only worshipping the false god, they're worshipping the false god with the goods that God gave them. And so God is not happy with this. It continues, verse 10, Soon I will expose her lewd nakedness in front of her lovers, and no one will be able to rescue her from me. See, again, under the Jewish law, if you were caught in the act of adultery, you were driven out of the camp and stripped naked. In this point, it was naked, not naked. And no one would have anything to do with you. See, in our culture, we celebrate adultery. We celebrate sinful, sinfulness like that. And unfortunately... This is going to be a problem for Israel. God says, I will put an end to all her celebration, her annual religious festivals, monthly new moon celebrations, weekly Sabbath festivities, all her appointed festivals. They're taking the the material things and they're, they're corrupting the true religion of God. Verse 13, God says, I will punish her for the festival days when she burned incense to the Baal idols. She adorned herself with earrings, and Jewelry, and went after her lovers, but she forgot me, says the Lord. See, that's why God is jealous, because Israel has forgotten him. God has created Israel to be his people, Ami. Now they're low, Ami. I don't know why, but sometime in eternity past, God, who was fine without us, said, you know, I'd like to be a, to be a part of a family. God says, I want to have a family. I want to be in, rela- in relationship with people. They're going to be my people. Unfortunately, in Genesis 3, they are in trouble because of sin. And the story of the Bible is how God overcomes that sin because of his godly jealousy. Because God loves his people so much that he provides them with so much he's willing to do something about their sinfulness. And so in verse 14, God says, however, in the future, I will allure her, I will lead her back into the wilderness and speak tenderly to her. See, you wouldn't speak tenderly to to a prostitute. But God says, after a period of time, I'm going to love Israel again. In fact, in verse 15, he says, from there I will give her back her vineyards and turn the valley of trouble into an opportunity of hope. The valley of trouble is the valley of Jezreel. There she will sing as she did when she was young when she came up from the land of Egypt. At that time, declares the Lord, you will call me what? My husband. Then you will never again call me my master. See, that's because God is a jealous God and he loves Israel with a correct and a proper and a godly jealousy. And so there's a time when they sin. And as a nation, he kicks them out of the land, and there's a time when he brings them back to the land, and he loves them, and they all live happily ever after, right? Well, that would be okay if the book ended there. And that would be okay if the, if the Old Testament ended there. But you know what happens in Isaiah ch- in Hosea chapter 3? First for verse 17 of chapter 2, I will remove the names of the Baal idols from your lips so that you will never again utter their names I will commit myself to you forever. I will commit myself to you in righteousness and justice. See, this is God saying, hey, I will commit myself to you in righteousness and justice. And I love that word, steadfast love and tender compassion. I will commit myself to you in faithfulness. Then you will acknowledge the Lord. See, the reason God does all this for Israel is because he loves Israel. He loves his people. And his people ought to respond over and again, they don't. And so now we go back to the illustration of Hosea and his wife. And you know what happens in Hosea chapter 3, this. The Lord said to me, Go show love to your wife again, even though she loves another man and continually commits adultery. So apparently Hosea marries this woman, raises her children, and now she leaves him to go back to a life of adultery and fornication. So he pays for her, verse 2. I paid 15 shekels of silver and about 7 bushels of barley to purchase her. You know what that's the price of, by the way? That's the price of a dead slave. In the Old Testament, if your ox killed someone else's slave, you had to give them 15 pieces of silver and 7 bushels of barley. And apparently Hosea is so used and abused and unattractive that no one else will have her. And here Hosea the prophet buys her back, then I told her you must not live with me many days, you must not commit adultery or you must live with me many days, you must not commit adultery or have sexual intercourse with another man, and I will also wait for you. I mean, that's, that's love that is unconditional. That's love that I'm not sure I can get my arms around. And yet that's the love of God for Israel and that's the love of God for us. Because again, The book of Hosea is a picture of how Gomer and Israel are the same. Gomer is the wife of Hosea, and with that she commits spiritual idolatry, and Israel is the spiritual wife of God. Gomer is a harlot. Israel is a spiritual harlot. Gomer has illegitimate children, and Israel is full of unfaithful children. And see how great the picture is of God's love. That's why God has the right to be jealous because God loves with that kind of love. And we see that picture continues in Hosea because Hosea is is a picture to the nation of God. He's in agony over Gomer's fornication. God is in agony over Israel's idolatry. This is my favorite. Hosea continued to love Gomer because of this word here. And God continued to love Israel because of that word there. The word is chesed. C-H-E-S-E-D. Say hesed. Say chesed. Chesed. Tell the person sitting next to you chesed. That's my favorite Old Testament word. It means loyal love. And every time in the Old Testament you read the word loving kindness, it's the word chesed. It's the love that doesn't give up. It's the love that does not quit. And therefore, God does not allow Hosea to divorce Gomer, and he does not forsake Israel. Hosea purchased and forgave Gomer. God will purchase and forgive Israel. Where Gomer is restored, Israel will be restored, and there's intimacy with Gomer between her and Hosea, and there's intimacy to be enjoyed in the future with with Israel. Isn't that a great picture of love? And see, love is what motivates God to be jealous. It's true in the Old Testament, and it's true in the New Testament. There's a proper way to be jealous. It's when your love is motivated, and when when your jealousy is motivated by love. It's the kind of love that you have for your kids. You know, you, you, you would do anything for your kids. And you want to protect your kids. So I don't let my child run in the middle of the street. It's not that I'm limiting their fun. It's that I'm I'm jealous for their safety. You don't allow your child to eat only chocolate. I want them to have fun. They get some chocolate. But I want for their safety, I want for their nutritional benefit to eat something else. And so there's a line that we don't cross as parents. And in our culture, we, we, we blur that line. We, give, we tend to give our kids everything because we want them to know we love them. Sometimes we're, we're showing we love them by letting them not do something. is that amazing? You, may, you can show your kid you love them by not doing something. I was a grouch when I was a dad. It's nice not to be a dad anymore, because when you're a grandpa, all you do is say yes. Your know, grandchildren are your reward for not murdering your own children. <laughs> but when I was a dad, I never once let any of my children do an overnight. I, I let them spend overnights at their friends, but they didn't do sleep o- they didn't do overnights with the youth group. You know why? Not because they couldn't afford to miss a night's sleep, but the next three days were miserable. So we just didn't do that, and all the kids in the youth group thought, "Oh, Mister Dyer, He's really mean." Yeah, they're right. Yeah. We got now. We get, we've raised a generation of kids that have everything. You know, when my kids were in high school, it's not that many years ago. The cell phones weren't even invented, and now I work with the Lakeland baseball team every day, and. I think only one of them does not have a cell phone, and that's because his dad is without a job. My wife, two Sundays ago at Club 345, had to set, take a cell phone away from a fourth grader. What's a fourth grader doing with his cell phone? He ought to tell you what he's doing, he's texting. And then they allow their kids to get online. And, and if your kids getting online with your cell phone with a cell phone, they're seeing stuff they don't need to be seeing. And as a parent, I'm jealous to protect them from that. There are things I don't want my kids to see and things I don't want my grandkids to see. I'm jealous in a good way to protect them. And that's how God is jealous toward us. The New Testament has a wonderful verse in it. 2 Corinthians eleven two. 2, Paul says this, I am jealous for you. That's the people in the church at Corinth. I am jealous for you with a what? A godly jealousy because I promised you in marriage to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. See, that's what the goal of the church is, is to we want to be presented as a pure virgin to Christ. We talked about this when we take communion. When we take communion, we're promising to stay faithful and pure to our groom. Jesus is our groom. He's away building a place for us. He's coming to get us, and when he does, we'll be united with him, but we don't want to go into the bridal chamber as a prostitute. We don't want to go into the bridal chamber as one who's just corrupted. And so Paul says, hey, and and Paul writes to the Corinthians, and they were a very shady bunch. But once you come to faith, you know, God has a jealousy for us. Well, the question is, what do you do with that? What do you do with that? I think one is, remember, God loves you with a loyal love. What's the word again? Chesed. Chesed. After the service, one of the men in the last sermo- uh, service came up and said, I have a granddaughter named Chesed. Chesed, they call her. C-H-E-S-E-D. I think that's a wonderful name. I gave all my kids Hebrew names. I'm a big fan of Hebrew names because they always mean something. I love the word Chesed. Chesed. It means loyal. love. Do you know how much God loves you? He loves you so much that he had one perfect son, Jesus, who never sinned, and he sent him to die on the cross in your place. And that's why I want to live for him. It's not just because he loves me, but it's I want to live a life of thankfulness for him. That's not always easy. In fact, there's never a time when we don't struggle with sin. And in my own family, this became a reality this week. I won't tell you who it was, but... A person in my family had someone (laughs) cheat on them this week. It wasn't Gwen and me, we're great. But a person who I care about deeply, I, I actually saw their spouse leaving an eating establishment holding hands with another person. And this is a person who sings in the choir. This is a person who claims to be a child of God. It just breaks my heart. And if it breaks my heart, think think what it does to our Heavenly Father's heart who loves us completely. Just part of me wants to get vengeance because they've hurt my relative. God's not about vengeance. God's about fellowship. God wants to bring us back into fellowship with Him the way Hosea went and brought Gomer back into fellowship with Him. So our job is to be faithful. What does that mean? That means that I need to get rid of anything that's coming between God and me. This is the week of March Madness. I'll probably fill out a bracket. I'm terrible at it, but I do it anyway. But it, it can't consume my life. Remember a sermon we had a year ago by Dave Shive on Kentucky basketball? Do you remember that? Where during the games in March, the whole state shuts down. Ever since then, I hate Kentucky basketball. But if Kentucky basketball or any basketball is coming between you and God, then you're committing adultery and God is jealous to have you back. It might be pornography. You're saying, oh, man, I'm just... You know, what you're saying when you're viewing pornography is, hey, God doesn't love me. God doesn't want what's best for me or he'd let me do this. Any sin is that way. Any sin says, hey, God is not good enough to let me do this sin, so I'm going to do this sin... God is so good. God is so loving. And that has to be answered once for all, which it was at the cross. If you ever doubt the love of God for you, remember what he did for you at the cross. He forgave your sin. He promised you eternal life. He wants to be in complete and perfect fellowship with you forever. But we struggle with sin. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, pride of life. All those things that come between God and me keep me from enjoying the love of God that he has for me with a perfect jealousy. And so I'd like us to focus on this last verse. And as the band comes, I'd like us to just bow our heads and close our eyes and I'll read it to you. Hosea 2, the whole reason for the book of Hosea. In chapter 2 and verse 19... God says this, I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and in justice, in loving kindness, there's our word chesed, and in compassion. And I will betroth you to me in faithfulness, then you will know the Lord. Father, we want to know the Lord in righteousness and justice, in loving kindness and compassion. We want to know a God who is jealous in love, who wants the very best for us, a God that we can trust so we can say, I'm not going to do that thing that separates me from my Father because I love my Father too much. I don't want to let you down. Father, even now in the quietness of the moment, if there's anything that's coming between us and you, may we confess that. You said if we confess our sin, you're faithful and just to forgive our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, I pray you'd cleanse us from the unrighteousness that keeps us from being your faithful, betrothed bride. And we're thankful that you see us as the bride. Until Jesus comes for us as our groom, we pray. Amen.